This is Life Elsewhere, created and hosted by Norman B. Hello there. Welcome to Life Elsewhere. Coming up, we're going to delve into why the rational believe the irrational with Michael Shermer, the author of Conspiracy. Now, this is such a timely book. I want you to listen carefully to everything Mr. Shermer has to say. Also in the show, I'm very pleased to bring to you new music from an artist I've long admired from Brisbane, Australia, Robert Forster. His latest solo album, The Candle and the Flame, will land at the beginning of February next year. And I've been graced with a preview of Robert's new LP, and I'm going to share a few tracks with you. Plus, we've just confirmed a Zoom conversation with the legendary singer-songwriter. New music from Robert Forster later in the show. First, the book is titled Conspiracy, Why the Rational Believe the Irrational. The author is Michael Shermer. Michael, welcome to Life Elsewhere. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you. I have to tell you and be very honest with you, I have been taking your book with me wherever I go because <laughs> I I kind of know that sometimes when you have a book with you and you sort of lay it down on the counter at a coffee shop, somebody's going to say to you, what's that? What's that about? And so then it gives me the excuse just to go on and on and on and talk, talk about your book because it really is fascinating. So let's get right into it. Conspiracy. Wow, it's such an important. I mean, right now it's so timely. Did you did you know when you were putting this book together that it was going to be coming out at such a crucial time? Well, I thought when I uh, was uh, first researching the book uh, that it was important because conspiracy theories are very mainstream and not as fringy as people think. I mean, people think conspiracy theorists, they think of a tinfoil hat, wackadoodle weirdo, you know, texting from his parents' basement or something. And that's not at all the case. It's always been mainstream. And I think it's evident now, if you look at the people that um, uh, assaulted the uh, U.S. Capitol building on uh, January 6th, you know, we know who they are. We know who almost all of them are. And and they're not tinfoil hat weirdos, unemployed and so on. They are you know, middle class, working class, upper class, lawyers, doctors, engineers, you know, policemen, ex-military. I mean, these are regular folks. And yes. they were under the delusion that the election had been stolen. That is, this is a conspiracy theory yes. that the um, Dominion voting machines and other uh, voting shenanigans were happening and that their country was being stolen right out of their grasp. And that, and they believe the boss that told them that, and that is a false conspiracy theory. So it's important whether the truth matters. It's important whether a conspiracy theory is true or false, because people act on their beliefs. And if they think something is true, like that guy Edgar Welch who went to the uh, Comet Ping Pong Pizzeria in Washington D.C. to break up the pedophile ring. Well, there is no pedophile ring run by Hillary Clinton at the pizzeria, right? But yeah. that that guy he he acted on his belief, right? That yes. he, was true and no one was doing anything about this crime he made a video for his daughters on his drive there and he explained exactly i I absolutely believe this it's a crime no one's doing anything about it and i'm going to do i'm taking the law into my own hands yes and we've all seen these interviews with maga supporters for instance who say the most what we think i guess people that don't believe in some of these (laughs) 
fake news ideas and whatever. This seems like craziness. It seems like it's absolutely crazy. But as you say in your title and your subtitle to your book, why the rational believe the irrational. And as you say, these are, for the most part, these are rational people. So let's get into it. The, you, the, there's a phrase that you use in your book, uh, cognitive dissonance. And I'd like to break that down, if you wouldn't mind, for my audience. What, what mm -hmm. does that mean? Cognitive dissonance is when you have two conflicting uh, beliefs or uh, pieces of evidence. So you have, let's say, a, a belief that you hold, and then you're confronted with evidence that contradicts it. What happens? Do people change their mind and go with the evidence, or do they spin doctor and rationalize the evidence so that they can maintain their belief? And the and the answer is almost always the latter. They spin doctor the evidence. This was discovered by Leon Festinger in 1954 when he investigated a UFO cult and their conspiracy theory that the world was going to end on December 21st at midnight. So he went with the group to the top of this hill where they, in, outside of Chicago where the mothership was going to come uh, take them away before the next day when the world ends. And uh, so he thought it'll be curious to see what happens when the world doesn't end, presumably. <laughs> uh, you know, will they say, well, this was a dumb idea. <laughs> and uh, I think I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to go home and see if I can get my job back <laughs> and get my car back and so on. And in fact, no, they didn't do that. They almost all of them doubled down on the belief. They rationalized it by saying, well, we miscalculated. Uh, it was next year. It was tomorrow night or this was a test of our faith and that sort of thing. Pretty standard stuff for um, uh, end of the world cultists. They 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 almost never say they were wrong. And uh, so he he called that cognitive dissonance. And he wrote a book called When Prophecy Fails. And uh, this kind of out, this kind of launched a whole industry of research and psychology on cognitive dissonance. Turns out it's a, a real phenomenon and we all do it. Uh, it's rare for, say, a politician to change parties. So, you know, I was re reassessing the evidence and I think I'm a Democrat instead of a Republican or vice versa. Yeah. And uh, and you almost never see that. Right. Because so I call this tribal conspiracism related to conspiracy theories. That is, we you know, we kind of adhere to a set of of dogma and characteristics or beliefs of a particular group. That's our tribe. And if you don't adhere to most of them, you're really not a good member of that tribe. And so, you know, endorsing something goofy like Pizzagate, you know, that Hillary's running a secret satanic pedophile ring out of a pizzeria, which is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Yeah. But 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 in a way, signal publicly signaling that you believe that shows how dedicated you are to your tribe evidence be damned you are not a flip-flopping wishy-washy mamby-pamby tree-hugging bedwetter you are a good tribal member and you're going to adhere to your tribe no matter what the evidence is and and people get a lot of re a reinforcement for that now you say tribe and this is where it gets into this area of questioning about whether disbelief or conspiracy theories sort of merge into this whole idea, this sort of cult-like idea of religion or some kind of belief. Um, I mean, you could say, I guess, if you believe in a, in a, a, a God, doesn't matter what kind of denomination it is, there's a certain element of conspiracy theory going on, isn't there? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, because I don't believe that I've ever seen an angel, and I'm probably sure that I, I i won't but that's just me but some people believe in angels don't they and and so does that go into the is that a conspiracy belief it is a, of a kind because what conspiracy theories do is they 
um, they explain apparently inexplicable events. Yes. You know, why, why is X happening? You know, it could be a disaster, disease, contagion, pandemic. It could be, um, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever you're concerned about assassination of a famous leader, the death of a famous person and so on. What is the cause of that? Right. So if you go back far enough in a way, uh, the witch crazes were a kind of conspiracy theory. That is, um, what's going on? Why? Why did you know uh, this person's cow die, or, or, or why was there this uh, pandemic, or you know why are people starving? How come the crops have failed? So I just go back to early modern Europe, and without a, a science of meteorology and a science of epidemiology and the germ theory of disease and and you know basic sciences that we take for granted now. Um, you know, that the, the witch theory of causality was kind of a conspiracy theory. Oh, I see. It's it's these women cavorting with demons in the middle of the night. That's the explanation for what's going on. So in that sense, conspiracy theories are a kind of coverall explanation for things that are otherwise seemingly inexplicable. And uh, so if you take something like, you know, so there's what we call a proportionality uh, bias or heuristic here. We, we expect our effects to be matched by equal size causes. So if I pick up a little pebble and throw it, it doesn't take much of a, an effort on my part. If I take a, right. a, a fist sized stone and heave it, it takes a little more effort. If I take a big boulder, I got to put all my body weight and muscles yes. into it. You know, so or you and then you apply that to or so here I'll just tell you an interesting experiment. So subjects asked given two die and asked throw roll the dice and try to get a low number. Of course, none of this matters, but people in their heads think, well, okay, I could try to get a low number. And they throw the dice very gently. And if ah. you say try try to roll a high number, like an eleven or twelve, they give it a good heave, almost yeah. as if the F extra effort is required for the higher number. Okay. Now just take that to um, historical events like the Holocaust, right? The, one of the worst things that ever happened in human history. And the cause of that, one of the worst political regimes of all time, the Nazis. Okay. There's a cognitive, cognitive balance there. But if you take something like 9-11, are you telling me, this is what I hear from 9-11 truthers, are you telling me 19 guys with box cutters brought down the World Trade Center business? Come on, come on. It had to be yes. the Bush administration was in on it and so on. Or JFK, you know, assassin, leader of the free world was killed by who? Lee Harvey Oswald, some lone nut? No way. That just doesn't balance, right? So it was the FBI and the CIA and the KGB and the Russians and the mafia and the Cubans and, you know, everybody was in on it, right? That, that feels more balanced with the uh, with the effect that you're you're looking at. Or Princess Diana, cause of death, drunk driving, speeding, no seatbelt. You know, that just doesn't see, princesses are not supposed to die the way the rest of us regular people do, right? So, uh, so it had to be the MI6 or the royal family or whoever it was in on it. And that's pretty normal. I love that analogy, the pebble to the big boulder. I love that. It, 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 it illustrates it so incredibly well. So can we say then that what we now call the MAGA people, which I, in some respects I, I find kind of funny that we've just taken this make America great again into shortened it to MAGA. And with that, we sort of understand what we're talking about from both sides of the spectrum, I guess. But can we say now that MAGA people are cultists of conspiracy theories or cultists that believed in conspiracies? Is Does that work? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Historically, conspiracy theories were for political losers. That is, the losing party was usually... 
the one that proffered a conspiracy theory to explain why they lost. Now, normally they then give it up and after a few months and concentrate on the next election. What was different about uh, 2016, the original uh, mega conspiracy theory, was that the, before the 2016 election, Trump was floating the conspiracy theory the election was going to be rigged. Yes. And then he won to everybody's surprise, including himself, because yes. of the quirkiness of the American electoral college system. Uh, he lost by three million popular votes, but won in the key states and then won the electoral college. So he won the presidency. But he continued. You'd think he would have dropped the rigged election conspiracy theory after that. You know, you won. Dude, you won. Just shut up. Right. But no, no, he had because of his ego, narcissism and so on. He yeah. also have the popular vote. Uh, and so he uh, proffered the conspiracy theory that Hillary stole or the election was rigged and, and, and she got three million extra votes that he should have gotten. And therefore, he won the popular vote. And he continued that. He never dropped that. And then before the 2020 election, he also said, it's also going to be rigged. And then, you know, he has not stopped that conspiracy theory. Now, we know from the nine, uh, from the um, uh, January 6th hearings that all the top GOP leaders knew that the election was not rigged. Uh, but they went along with it because, you know, they were fearful for their political future and that if the boss denounces them, then they're out uh, like Liz Cheney. Uh, and so uh, the theory continues to this day. You know, here we are in, in late October and the midterms are coming up and then the 2024 election presidential elections coming up and i'm worried that these conspiracy theories will not go away and will yes. be they'll, they will continue and the the mega people won't accept whatever happens in 2024 or republicans won't in general and then maybe if they if they win the democrats won't accept it because of all the um, gerrymandering and other activities that the republicans are doing to try to you know like plant people in these positions of power over yes. the elections of various states with Republicans who will go along with whatever Trump tells them. That is a concern. Then therefore the Democrats won't accept it. And then, then where will our democracy be? That is about as mainstream uh, of conspiracism as you can get. <laughs> and as you say, very, very scary, something we should all be just very, very worried about. A couple of things I'm interested in here. Uh, my my call. Let me just remind my listeners. I'm talking to Michael Shermer. The book is titled "Conspiracy: Why the Rational Believe the Irrational." So when we're talking about MAGA, I just want to concentrate on MAGA and Trump just for a moment. Is it necessary for a, a cult like MAGA, which it has become, to have a figurehead like Trump? Well, <laughs> yes, uh, I, th I think the explanations for Trump's uh, the Trump phenomenon is going to be probably overdetermined. Lots and lots of factors. Yeah. You know, the 08, 09 economic meltdown and then the recovery by all the uh, Wall Street people and rich people and people upper middle class. They recovered, but the working class didn't. So that's probably one factor, uh, you know, the kind of rise of populism and authoritarianism around the world that might be another factor but but again conspiracy theories definitely fall into this trump is 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 long time been a conspiracy theorist i mean remember he was an obama birther conspiracy yes, theorist in yes. fact he he really put it on the map more than anybody else he was on primetime television i remember seeing him yeah uh on cnn with anderson cooper you know saying yes. oh anderson i i got a team of, of experts in hawaii and you're not going to believe what they found and anderson is like well tell us what they find oh i can't tell you it's gonna be huge though. it's gonna be huge 
<laughs> right. And of course, of course, nothing ever came of this, but he, you know, he continued it for years, even after Obama, uh, you know, presented uh, uh, his short form birth certificate, then the long form birth certificate, yeah. the Hawaiian health department issued the statements. He was born here. Hawaii's in the United States. <laughs> you know, he's a U.S. citizen and so on and so forth. So um, and if you look at um, uh, Trump's Twitter feed, you know, the, uh, all the language he used in 2020 after the election about, uh, you know, rigged and, and we've got to march down there and take our country back and so on. And the flipping of the votes and, and this and that. He said the same thing on Twitter uh, in the primaries in 2015 when Ted Cruz won the first one. I think it was mm -hmm. Iowa. And yeah. he said, oh, Ted Cruz, you know, it was rigged. He cheated. They, he stole the election from me. Everybody knows I won. Same kind of Twitter feed. And then it goes back even further than that to when Romney, he endorsed Romney against yes. Obama and Obama won and, and Trump, same kind of tweet tweets. Oh, uh, Obama stole the election. It was rigged. They flipped the votes and so on. And, and it goes back even further than that <laughs> when the amazing race won the Emmy awards for best television reality show over the apprentice. He said, Oh, it was rigged. Everybody knows <laughs> that they stole the, they stole the election from me for the Emmy. Right. I mean, just astonishing. There's nothing new about what he's saying. You know, it's funny. It's funny in that here we are, you and I, and I've seen this happen before, where we're laughing about something that is so serious and so ridiculous at the same time. And we can even go back further with Trump. There was the case of the Central Park Eight, these young mm. men that have been accused of rape and et cetera. And, and Trump took out a full-page advertisement, I believe, in yeah. the New York Times or whichever paper, the post. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, the post. That's right. Yes, yes, the post. And demanding that they be what executed and chopped yes. into little pieces or something. <laughs> right. Let's move on for Trump just ju just a moment. Um, the the whole idea of conspiracy theories and people believing, as you say in your title, why do the rational believe the irrational is. There's so many other things, and as you do in your book, and I have to say, and I want to let my listeners know that you go into incredible detail in your book about every topic and every question that you can come up with. And what I find fascinating about your book is that sometimes I've thought to myself about, for instance, about the JFK assassination, about the moon landing or whatever, because you hear these things, you hear these things. You go into all the details and you, you present it in such a way that, it's so easy to understand, Michael. You and, and mm. I get the feeling that you don't take sides so much as you explain it in a very um, well. I mean, you explain it so everybody can understand it. It's 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 terrifically well done. So let's talk about some of the earlier conspiracy theories, and these, mm. of course, go back in time when we can go back centuries, can't we? For for conspiracy theories. all the way back to uh, the burning of rome there were theories that uh, nero let it happen on purpose or made it happen on purpose lie hop and my hop these are terms that come from the 9-11 truthers the yeah. fact is i i so i introduced the term cow hop capitalized on what happened on purpose uh because politicians do do this you know when bad things happen they 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 take that uh, advantage of that to get more uh, power and uh, you know take president roosevelt after Pearl Harbor. Um, so there was uh, an inquisition about Pearl Harbor. How did this happen? And uh, there was a lot of racism there that there's no way the Japanese could have pulled this off. I mean, look, they're, they're, they're stupid and they can't see very well. How did they do this? Right. 
And uh, so they thought, well, Roosevelt must have known this was going to happen, or he even helped orchestrate it. The reason for that was because there was an isolationist movement, American Firsters, uh, led by uh, uh, Charles Lindbergh, of all people. Yes. And he, he, you know, he was he was pretty pro pro German. It, it turns out he had a secret family. He had a second wife and fa- and kids in Germany, which didn't come out till long after his death. And uh, so, but but in any case, Roosevelt was having a hard time. Uh, getting congressional support for supporting Great Britain before Pearl Harbor because of the isolationists and the American firsters. And so when Pearl Harbor happened, then, okay, now we can go. Now the public will understand this is serious. You know, we're at war. Then Hitler declared war in the United States. Okay, we're in. Right. So after Pearl Harbor, then it's thought, okay, he must have known this was going to happen. He let it happen on purpose or even orchestrated, made it happen on purpose. In fact, what really happened was he wanted to get in. And so this happened. Of course, we didn't know for sure where the Japanese were going to attack. And then there's the hindsight bias where after the fact, you look at the intel and there was some intel that uh, said the Japanese may attack Hawaii. But there was also intel that they may attack the coast of California. They may attack uh, the Aleutian Islands in Alaska. They may attack the Philippines. And in fact, they had plans to attack all sorts of places. And our, our intelligence services were not sure which was the right one. Much like after 9-11, um, th- we, all, we all saw this memo from Condoleezza Rice to the to to uh, Bush's office that, you know, Osama bin Laden to attack United States on U.S. soil. That was August 9th. 2001 right a month before 9-11 and so why didn't bush do something about it there's the memo there's a smoking gun he must have let it happen on purpose or made it happen on purpose. no in fact there were thousands of pieces of intel it wasn't at all clear where al-qaeda was going to attack next and after the fact you go well that's the one well they should have known no that's not fair but in fact bush capitalized on what happened he cow hopped right i mean we know that iraq didn't have weapons of mass destruction uh we know he kind of rammed that through congress and the un and the you know coalition of the willing and all the the, the countries that were supposedly going to be on our side right. and so forth and, and but but he, we all know he wanted to invade iraq first to afghanistan but iraq really had nothing to do with 9-11 but you know so he had his own political motive so what bothers me about these these kind of conspiracy theories is they distract from the real issues because governments really do lie to citizens. They really do cover things up. They really are up to, you know, so what what is the relationship between the United States government and the Saudi government? Uh, you know, and where did that money come from that funded the 9-11 attackers, the, the hijackers? You know, what's the story with that? How come those Saudi um, uh, leaders and family members uh, uh, f- get flown out of the United States on 9-12. What's the story with that, right? Yes. And how come the 9-11 Commission report doesn't cover a lot of that, right? But the 9-11 truthers, they've distracted us from the real the real things that go on behind the, the scenes. So I have a long section in the book, as you know, about real conspiracies, you know, yes. like the CIA and MK Ultra. I mean, dosing U.S. citizens with LSD and other mind-altering drugs uh, to, 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 to see if we could study brainwashing without them knowing, without congressional approval, without consent or knowledge of the of the uh, subjects and so on, or Operation COINTELPRO, where the FBI was planning agents in uh, social justice groups like the uh, Black Panthers and the American Indian Movement, feminist groups and so on, all the way up to blackmailing Martin Luther King Jr. with audio recordings of his sexcapades in hotels, yes. rooms with women, 
and then blackmailing him. Tell, th- you know, we have the copy of this letter, uh, and it turns out it was from the FBI, composed by the FBI, telling him he should kill himself or else they're going to expose these sex tapes. You know, that's illegal. Now you'd go to jail, you know, you know, revenge porn is a thing. Yeah. That's illegal. Right. Yes. Our own government was doing this. <laughs> so, you know, this is my argument that constructive conspiracism, you know, it, 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 there are reasons it's, there's a kind of, of rationality behind being suspicious. Which leads of course, to the question is what should we believe? I mean, because we're surrounded by so many things that are just ludicrous, but yet at the same time, there is this plausible situation of some of the things you just illustrated, which you illustrate in your book so incredibly well. I started off by saying, Michael, that this is so timely. And and, and of course it is. In fact, Right this very moment, as you and I are speaking, I'm on the West Coast, I'm on the East Coast, and you're on the West Coast, I believe. Um, today, yeah. I understand today, the news is breaking. I think this happened last night, that Nancy Pelosi's husband, yeah. somebody entered his house and uh, battered him with a blunt instrument. He's, yeah, as hammer. I speak, hammer. Was it a hammer? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, as I understand right now, he's in hospital. He's still alive. He's in hospital. But this now opens up this whole can of ugliness of violence against people you don't agree with. Vis-a-vis uh, uh, what happened on, on the, the 6th, the, the, the storming of the Capitol. Yeah, yeah. And some other incidents that we've seen. From your perspective, somebody that has studied this, the man that wrote Conspiracy, do you believe that we're going to see more of this? Is this something that we really should be very, I guess, obviously aware of, but of, yes, worried about? But is this something which we've now led out, we've been led into? A, a, an area that is, how do we get out of this? I guess yeah, that's. Yeah. Right. Yes. Uh, that story. Yeah. We still don't know his motive. My guess it would be that he got uh, radicalized online, yes. uh, that the you know Pelosi's are not just Democrats with whom we disagree about their foreign policy or immigration or tax rates or whatever, but but they're evil people. Yes. And they're and they're up to no good, you know, because there are stories about. You know, first of all, he got that um, DUI drunk driving charge, and then it yes. looks like he pulled some strings so he didn't have to go to prison. Then there was a insider trading story last year, you know, that they had inside knowledge about some stocks that they own. And so there's just enough of that that, you know, you can see a conspiracy theorist uh, reading this and thinking, OK, then what else are they up to? And that man remember on uh, January 6th, they were looking for her. They would have they probably would have killed her along with Mike Pence if they found her. Right. So um, uh, th- this is why conspiracism is not on the fringe. It's in the mainstream. People act on their beliefs, you know, and, and again, like Edgar Welch going to the pizza pizzeria with his gun. Uh, but lots of people do those sorts of things. You know, most of the mass shootings we've seen, like the um, the one in New Zealand, the one at the um, synagogue in Pittsburgh uh, and, and just name any of them. They're most. Most of those are based on some conspiracy theory, you know, in this case, you know, the Jews are up to no good or the Muslims are up to no good in New Zealand. The Pittsburgh one was the Jews. And, you know, people think, well, this is really happening and I'm going to go do something about it. And, yes. and, you know, the accessibility of guns and, of course, the 
Pelosi story. You don't even need a gun, just a hammer. Yeah. And so I'm predicting that he will, it'll turn out he's just some, you know, radicalized anti-conspiracy theorist. I'm, you know, we're going to get in there and break up this conspiracy by the Pelosi's to ruin America or whatever they believe. Which leads me to ask you, do you think we're talking about conspiracies and things that ha- that actually have happened and things that are fantasy? But are there things like, for instance, we're talking about the Pelosi incident yesterday, last night, I believe. Is it possible that there are things going on, people that people are, are, are doing things that we're not really aware of because it's not getting into the the, the public sphere? Is is that is mm-hmm. that? possible yeah 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 i mean look what the well first pentagon papers revealed to what extent the u.s government under multiple administrations kennedy johnson and nixon were lying to the american public about how the war was going the gulf of tonkin incident you know that turned out to be mostly a fake conspiracy theory by the johnson administration to uh escalate the kind of a false flag operation in a way uh, to escalate the war or the, the the wikileaks you know to what extent even president obama Yes. You know, was was surveilling the U.S. U.S. citizens without without a warrant, you know, and and so on. There's enough of that that's gone on. It's reasonable to be suspicious of your government, right? Yes. You know, before um, you know, old conspiracism was that it was enemies without are are trying to corrupt our government. You know, the Jews or the Catholics or the Mormons and uh, or the Germans or the Japanese or you know, it's always some outside enemy. After the Second World War, particularly after the 1960s, that shifted to the U.S. government itself is the enemy. And that, you know, this goes all the way up to QAnon and the deep state and that Trump was combating this deep state force that was operating, you know, behind closed doors and he was going to expose them. There were all these dates that were end of the world dates, so to speak, you know, that that there'd be mass arrests coming up next week, you know, and Hillary and all the Democrats are going to be arrested and put on trial and and put away in in prison. You know, of course, none, none of this happened, but it was the same thing. The enemy is in the government. Not yes. outside the government. That's a new. That's new in the second half of the twentieth century. There's something else I'd like to point out specifically about your book. You started off, and you just mentioned it just a few moments ago about the shooting in New Zealand. That story is huge. Yet, mm-hmm. I think here in America, in in maybe in Europe as well, it really didn't make the headlines that it did in New Zealand because, mm-hmm. I, for one reason, I think, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but it's far away. It's a place that we don't mm. really concern ourselves with. Yet, mm-hmm. it's a huge, big story. That the, the and, and the how this the manifesto that this man wrote. And I found it interesting that you started your book off with with that particular story, mm-hmm. it, which now leads me to think about where we are right now, right this moment. This what I call the big divide. Not just in this country, but in most what we call first world countries, it seems like we've got to this place where there's us and there's them. And it's who are, who is us and who is them? Because it seems like Mm -hmm. the whole idea of why the rational believe the irrational can sort of switch switch sides every so often. Mm -hmm. Just want to get your thoughts. Yeah. Well, the New Zealand uh, uh, manifesto was the great replacement theory, which has been around for a long time, that the white race is being replaced by brown people or Jews uh, around the world. So there are, the great replacement theory is also popular in Europe. 
particularly since uh, Angela Merkel opened the borders of Germany up to uh, immigrants from uh, really escapees from Assyria. You know, oh, my God, these brown people are coming here and and so on. And then there's, you know, this business about the birth rates. This is what the guy in New Zealand said. He kept repeating this, the opening of his manifesto. It's the birth rates. It's the birth rates. The birth rates. I said it three times, yeah. right? The, and, you know, you'll, and you look at the numbers and they're real that, you know, there are certain uh, cohorts, uh, particularly religious people, are have a higher fecundity than non-religious people. Or the more educated you are and the more industrialized you are, the less, the fewer babies you have. Uh, it has nothing to do with race. It's, it has to do with these other factors of, of being uh, rich and industrialized and educated and so on. Uh, but to a racist, you know, it looks like the white race is being replaced by these brown people. And you heard this in, in um, Charlottesville, right? That they had two uh, chants. The Jews will not replace us and you will not replace us. Well, this was the great replacement uh, theory, not, not just race, but also you, the, the Jews are replacing us in media and academia and so on. They're doing this and that behind a closed door. That's a very old idea, right? I mean, back in the Middle Ages, the, the anti-Semitism was pretty rampant, particularly after the Reformation. Martin Luther was quite the anti-Semite. And, um, and so Jews got pushed out of most professions, so they had to migrate to uh, banking. This is during the rise of capitalism. You know, you yeah. needed you needed uh, loans and interest had to be charged on the loans and, you know, so-called usury, which was forbidden in the Bible and so on. Anyway, long story short, Jews just had to do whatever they could to survive. And so they migrated to professions where they were not banned. And so we're left with, you know, oh, there's more Jews in the media. There's more Jews in banking. And, and now that's not that's not so true anymore, but it, it was for a while. And so you could kind of look at the numbers and go, aha, there's something going on here. And I've uncovered it. Right. Yes. And that's another thing about conspiracism is that um, it gives people the sense of of secret knowledge like, ooh, I know what's really going on. It's yeah. it's not only empowering, but it's kind of entertaining. It's fun. It's exhilarating. Oh, my God. Um, you know, I, I worked on this um, Netflix series on brainwashing. We found this woman in Texas who had gone down the rabbit hole with QAnon uh, once uh, the, the COVID-19 shutdown happened and, her, and she was largely out of her PR business kind of shut down and she's bored at home. She's got a you know, beautiful woman, educated, smart, married, two kids, the whole thing, got the perfect life in Texas. And uh, next thing you know, like six months later, her husband has to give her an ultimatum. It's QAnon or the family. Uh -huh. And she said, I chose QAnon. She goes, this was yes. the, at the, at that time, she had now gone back to her family. She said, at this time, this was the most important thing I would ever do. I am going to stop this evil force. Oh my God, I am the hero of this story, right? It's like the Joseph Campbell's, the, you know, the hero with a thousand faces, the hero's journey. You know, I'm going to venture out and do this great deed and then come back as a hero. And, and that's what QAnon and a lot of these conspiracy theories do to people. They make you feel like, Oh, like the nine, like the, the January six people, you know, this is our 1776 moment. I get to be like, like Hamilton and Jefferson and Washington and Adams. I'm like a new founding fathers. This is our moment. This right. Is our moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's exciting. You know, it's exhilarating. You, know, you can see it in their faces and their voices. Michael, conspiracy is your life. You, you've written this book. You've written other books. You have a podcast. You have the Skeptic magazine. You're, you're, you're surrounded by the whole idea of conspiracies. But for the average, for the average layman who picks up your book, what, what would you like them to take away? What's the big takeaway that you would like the reader to get from conspiracy? 
Oh, yeah, a couple of things. One, uh, there is a way to know whether a conspiracy theory is true or not. And uh, two, it's not completely irrational to believe that some conspiracy theories might be true because some of them are true, right? Yeah. Enough uh, uh, conspiracy theories turn out to be true that it pays to be a little bit paranoid, constructively yeah. conspiracist, I call it. And uh, three, we I, I am concerned about the uh, it kind of mainstreaming violence and so on, and that um, we have to reestablish trust in our institutions, like like uh, democracy. You know, we ha if you can't trust that the elections are fair and just then there's no hope for democracy because you know the average person like you and i uh, we we can't go r running around different states to assure that the elections are fair you know we have to trust the people that are running them yeah. and so you know anyway i'm concerned about that okay michael i thoroughly enjoy talking with you it really is a remarkably fascinating book i i really enjoyed reading it the title of the book is conspiracy why the rational believe the Irrational. My guest and the author, Michael Shermer. Michael, thank you so very much for joining us at Life oh, well, thank, thank you. Thank you for having me. I loved it. A very large thank you to my guest, Michael Shermer. Such a good book. Now, don't forget the links to the books and music we feature on Life Elsewhere are always up lifeelsewhere.co Now make sure you go there to learn all about the other shows we have produced and subscribe so you can learn about upcoming shows. I've got an exclusive preview of the new solo album from the acclaimed Australian singer-songwriter Robert Forster right after this. This is Life Elsewhere hosted by Norman B. Let us know what you think of our show Send your comments to info at lifeelsewhere.co. That's C-O. Here's the first single from Robert Forster's forthcoming album, the Candle and the Flame. The title, She's a Fighter. She's a fighter She's a fighter She's a fighter
This is Life Elsewhere, and that was She's a Fighter from The Candle and the Flame, the latest solo album from Robert Forster, due for release on February the 3rd, 2023. About She's a Fighter, Robert says, This is the last song I wrote for Candle and the Flame. I wrote the music for it in June 2021. I like the tune and the quick energy of the song, but I didn't know yet what it was going to be about. In early July, Karen Balmer, my wife, a musical companion for 32 years, received a cancer diagnosis. In late July, with a series of chemotherapy sessions about to begin, Karen talked of fighting for her health and a path through chemotherapy to recovery. The phrase, she's a fighter, came to me. I liked it. And I knew immediately that it would work with my new melody. I needed just one line for the lyric, fighting for good. The song was finished, and I'd written my first two-line song. I just out-ramoned the Ramones. Because the song has so much meaning to us, we decided to record it as a family. The only time this happens on the album. Karen sings and plays xylophone. Our daughter Loretta plays electric guitar. Our son Lewis plays guitar, bass and percussion. And I strum an acoustic guitar fiercely and sing. Robert has more to say about She's a Fighter and the other songs on the album, but I'm going to wait till I chat with Robert via Zoom in just over a week. The details for our conversation and sorting out the extraordinary time difference have now been confirmed. And I know that many of you are fans of Robert Forster, dating back to the go-betweens. So if you have a question for Robert, send me an email as quickly as you can. The Candle in the Flame is a very special album. Here's another cut. I don't do drugs. I do time. I don't do drugs out of time Make a stop and rewind To correct mistakes of mine To recollect friends of mine I don't do drugs out of time Make a stop and look ahead See what's coming round the bend What to avoid and what to blend And I remember when we first met Where you sat, what you said What was running through my head Where you sat and what you said and though my eyes are clear I've been traveling miles from here I've seen colors and I've known years I don't do drugs at a time Make it stop and rewind And I remember when we first met where you sat and what you said And though my mind 
I've known distortion, oh, and I've known fear. I've told people, get me out of here. I don't do drugs, I do time. Feel changes in my mind. I'm walking to school in 69. The next day, I'm 35. One day we're all gonna go to Fizz in a train and express that comes slowly from Marrakesh to this city that time forgets. And though my eyes are clear, I've been traveling miles from here. I've seen colors and I've known years. I don't do drugs out of time. Make it stop, look ahead. And I remember when we first met, where you sat and what you said. I don't do drugs at a time Make it stop and rewind Reimagine, redefine Recondition, realign Re-elected, not resigned I don't do drugs, baby, I do time Robert Forster with I Don't Do Drugs, I Do Time from his forthcoming solo LP, The Candle and the Flame, due for release next year. It's hard to imagine that there could be anyone who's not impressed with Robert Forster's work. As you can hear from the cuts I've selected, this is a deeply personal, poignant album. Here's another cut. Tender years. Listen carefully, and yes, do turn the volume up as loud as you can. The production here is exquisite. Entrance in chapter one 
Salted water, I see how far we've come. 
I've been playing this album on repeat for the last few days. It certainly is superb. That was Tender Years from Robert Forster's new solo LP, The Candle and the Flame. So good. Robert will join me for a Zoom conversation in just over a week, and you're going to get to hear that shortly after. I'm so looking forward to chatting with Robert. Now, don't forget, if you have a question you'd like to ask Robert Forster, do send me an email as quick as you can. My email address comes up in the closing credits, so be ready. It seems to happen all too frequently these days that just as we're about to wrap the production on our latest show, new comes in of the loss of another rock and roll legend. The killer himself, the one and only Jerry Lee Lewis, has passed the age of 87. A true original, the man influenced not only scores of fledgling piano players, but also legions of rock and roll aficionados. I never did get to see Mr. Lewis live. The one time I bought tickets to a show, my mother was in hysterics because she reckoned gangs of teddy boys would be at the Tooting Granada and I wouldn't be safe, so she warned me off from going. But that really didn't stop me from pl planning a, a daring halt down to Tooting Broadway to see the tousle-haired rocker Instead, I came down with mumps, and that stopped me from going. So on the night of the show, there I was in pain with a swollen throat, listening to my favourite Jerry Lee record over and over again. The fragile Grundig record player took a serious beating that night as my imagination did somersaults, pretending I was boarding night train to Memphis with Jerry Lee. Rest in peace, Mr. Lewis. Take that night, train to Memphis, and when you arrive at the station, I'll be right there to greet you. I'll be to meet you. Won't you take my invitation? Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. I'll be singing hallelujah all the way. Oh, we'll have a jubilee down in Memphis, Tennessee. He'll be singing hallelujah all the way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All the way. We'll be singing. 
Jerry Lee Lewis with my favorite, Night Train to Memphis. Thank you for listening. Till next time, be well, be safe, and always, you know it makes sense, be nice. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Life Elsewhere, created and hosted by Norman B. Life Elsewhere is written and produced by Norman B. Guest booking and additional research by Stephanie Lane. Behind-the-scenes assistance by James Van, Bruce Goodman, and Allison Klein. We love to hear what you think about Life Elsewhere. Send your questions, queries, and comments to info at lifeelsewhere.co. That's C-O. At the studios of WMNF Tampa. 